Welcome to Salam Nerds Podcast. We do recaps, reviews, and breakdowns of your favorite TV shows and movies. Yo, 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 it's the Salam Nerds. My name is Steve, a.k.a. We are an inclusive podcast that focuses on the voices that are ignored. We are all nerds here. Thank you to all our supporters. Like, comment, share, subscribe, and give us a good review. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Yo, yo, salam, nerds. It's your boy, Neves, a.k.a. Watch with Neves, and I'm here with my co-host, Jaff, a.k.a. DJ Go-Go Gadget. What? Yeah, Inspector Go-Go Gadget. Gadget? Yeah, maybe Inspector Gadget. Maybe there's another reference. Maybe we'll get into it. Maybe I'll explain to you why I did that. I like to, ha- okay. I like to, I like to throw an air of mystery into the nicknames every now and then. I am so confused, but okay, cool. All right. Well, listen, we're going to have a great episode for you today. Uh, This is going to be fun. We're going to be discussing the movie Oppenheimer, uh, something I thought was really interesting. I'm an electrical engineer, so I've studied some of this in college. Uh, A lot of this was fascinating. So, you know, we're going to get into the history. We're going to get into the science and we're going to get into the Easter eggs. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And while we're doing that, you know, it's still a movie. And, you know, there is a lot of drama. There is a lot of... Uh, you know, character development and all that stuff, even though these are real people, they're loosely based on it, a little bit, a little bit not. So whether they're characters or they're real people, that's up to you to decide. Um, and we got joining us Rocky. Rocky's been on the show quite a bunch of times. Uh, welcome to the show, Rocky. Thank you for having me, folks. Uh, glad to be with Neebs and uh, Inspector Gadget. Yes, yes. Oh, we already got people in the comments. Someone said Einstein reminded me of a Daisy uncle. He did remind me of a Daisy uncle. I I got that vibe too. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um all right, listen. This is what we'll do. We'll go around maybe 10 minutes, talk about what we thought overall about the movie, then we'll go into spoilers. 30 minutes into this, we'll go to commercial break, 45 minutes into it, second commercial break, and then we'll try to wrap it up in the hour. Uh, but I think we should do a commercial break after the uh, non-spoiler section as well. Okay, we, we can do that. The only thing is sometimes Spotify doesn't let you uh, put in a commercial 10 minutes into the show for some reason. So oh, yeah, interesting, right? So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how long spoilers go. If they go over 10 minutes, we'll do it then. Um, all right, let's try to get people's opinions about the movie overall. Uh, Rocky, why don't you go first? You're our guest. I, um, well, thank you for that. I had the, uh, the privilege of uh, driving to San Antonio to watch this movie. I live in Houston for uh, folks that don't know, and we uh, do not have a single 70 millimeter IMAX theater in town. Uh, so I had to drive to San Antonio to go watch this. And let me say the three-hour drive was absolutely worth it. Um, I think it was 
an incredibly brilliant film um, and one that we desperately needed for the summer. And uh, I can't do much more than, you know, sort of showering heaps of praise. And I'm sure we'll get into more of the technicalities as it goes on. But like initially, I've seen it about three times now. It's it's really, really good. Three it's times. Really, really good. Oh, damn, that's nine it. hours of your life. That's right. And uh, it's nine hours. That would be worse if I spent it living my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yo, Rocky, you want to go see it for a fourth time in the Woodlands? I'm, I'm actually, so I'm taking my parents on Sunday. And wow. uh, so I will, I will, I'm, and I'm down to go again after that. I've, I, I'm slacking on Barbie, by the way. I've only seen that twice. So I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta get that up. All right. Don't forget to check out our podcast on the Barbie. We did that yesterday and it's already up. It's a, it's a good one. It's a good one. Hopefully we can beat it. We, we're having Barbie Heimer back to back, <laughs> just like the <laughs> movies. <laughs> but, but also, can I just say what an incredible privilege we've had like three incredible summer movies in a row with like yeah. Mission Impossible. Uh, and now Barbenheimer. The amount of A-list actors we've had in movies just this month alone is insane, right? Like, first of all, Oppenheimer is full of stars. Uh, then we have the Barbie movie, which is full of stars. And then we have Mission Impossible, which is full of stars. Like, amazing A-list actors this whole month. It was it was really, really great to to really see that. Uh, that definitely felt like Hollywood is back and cinema is back. Uh, right during oh. the writer's strike, right? During the writer's oh, strike, okay. yeah, yeah, uh, awkward. <laughs> uh, Jazz, what were your thoughts of the movie? So, I too drove three hours to San Antonio to watch Oppenheimer in 70 millimeter. IMAX. Did you guys go together? Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, oh, lame. I, I, I was yeah. a little too desperate for Jazz. Jazz is functions more like more of a regular human being than I do. So he waited till he had time on his hands. I just drove. Yeah. I was actually going to ask Rocky to go again, but that month just didn't work out because he actually had work for the first time ever. Right. And so <laughs> Wait, Rocky had a job. <laughs> Rocky has a job now. I, I do have a job. Contrary to popular belief. I, I they, people do pay me for stuff. Uh, why I don't know yet, but you know, we'll, I don't ask too many questions. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Jeff, yeah. what were you saying? Yeah, so I did also go to see the 70 millimeter production of it, and I want to compare it to the 4K IMAX laser that we do have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have all the digital formats. The only format we don't have is like the true film format here in Houston. Okay. So I do want to see the 4K laser one up in the woodlands, and I am going to compare it to that later. But uh, the 70 millimeter version that I did see. Oh my god, man! Like the details, the clarity, the the contrast—just it, it was definitely a different experience. Um, I didn't like the theater that much; I thought it was kind of dingy. But the image itself was amazing. Did, uh, did you watch it at the AMC or did you go to Santicos? I went to the AMC. I went to the AMC. Okay. Yeah, it was inside a mall, and it's like yeah. uh, they took a old department store. And converted it into an IMAX theater separate from the AMC and all the other like uh, screens they have there. It's like you have to like buy a ticket, go down the escalator, go down the hall, go down another hall, and then you get to the IMAX portion of it. it it's so funny. I, I think that used to be a Macy's, if memory serves. Yeah. Uh, so I they converted. Wrong, but I, I, from what I recall, that it's also the place where they screened the Alamo movie. Um, yeah. 
for uh mm, interesting interesting so i watched the movie in uh dolby digital uh because i was doing Bar- barbie heimer and this back to back and it was the one where timing would work out also i was in california at comic-con so it was fun to see people dressed up in all the Barbie outfits, going from one theater to another. We definitely did Barbie Heimer back to back. It was a lot of fun. I wore an army jacket over my pink shirt. So as soon as I come out of the theater, I take off the army jacket and then expose my pink shirt. So it was was a lot of fun. I I really, really enjoyed the experience. Uh, The hype, the memes, everything was incredible about this movie. Uh, When they released this movie, I did have mixed feelings about it, right? And I was like, okay, after watching American Sniper, I'm like, America is the only country that will show their soldiers killing civilians and innocent people and then make a movie about how their soldiers came back to America and felt sad about it. And this is pretty much the same thing where it's like Oppenheimer <laughs> kills all these like people and he feels sad about it and then make a movie about it. And they're probably going to win him an Oscar. It's, it's, it's really funny. So I was like, Ugh, do I really want to watch this? But it's Christopher Nolan. I know it was going to be made really well. Um, I was definitely pleasantly surprised about a lot of the stuff that happened here. Some stuff I was I I wasn't really crazy about. Like like Rocky said, he wants to take his he wants to take his parents. I also want to take my parents to this movie, but like the nude scenes are a little aggressive and uh, very awkward. <laughs> so I I don't think I will be doing that. <laughs> I, I felt that was a little they, bit much, but we'll they, get into that. They they last. Um enough to where i can get by with it with my really it's only for like two scenes and one of them is not actively a sex scene it's mostly one where they're having a conversation so i feel like that i can uh absolutely work up with my dad a conversation shirtless like the breasticles are all out there man (laughs) i i i watched uh the holy mountain with my dad this is comparatively tame stuff all right, all right. Well, well, my parents are a little more concerned. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. So we'll talk about that. So overall, I definitely love this movie. Great experience. Great filmmaking. Um, it does seem a little like, you know, a, there is a little bit of propaganda in this, but it's more of a, you know, tale of a man and based on what I know of Oppenheimer uh, before I watched the movie, I think it's pretty accurate to the things that people know about him. So I didn't see anything where I'm like, oh, they totally ruined that. That definitely didn't happen. I definitely think a lot of it was pretty fair from the documentaries I've seen and the stuff that I've learned uh, in my classes. But my classes were definitely focused more on the difference between fusion and fission, uh, which is the part that I really like. So if you don't know, like, you know, fusion is when uh, two nuclei bond together to relieve a lot of energy. And then fission is what they just discovered at the beginning of the movie. And that's when you have like one uh, nucleus and you split it. So basically you split the atom it changes, and it goes into a chain reaction. Um, what I really loved about that is when they explain it, the way they show it with the atmosphere kind of just like in a chain reaction, the thin, uh, the imagery is just amazing. Uh, definitely, definitely love this. Fusion is something that is not invented yet because in order for us to make something with fusion, we would need like a million degrees, which is like the temperature of the sun. So fusion isn't something that we could kind of do at the moment. But fission is something that, you know, we do all the time. Nuclear reactors and stuff like that will always do stuff in uh oh wasn't there a new nuclear reactor that went online recently 
Yeah. And an- another thing that uh, they mentioned in this movie, which I thought was cool, was the China syndrome. So if you know what the China syndrome is, something else I, I learned in my class is uh, if a nuclear reactor melts down, it could potentially melt down to the core from like the U.S. to China. That's called the China syndrome. <laughs> what yeah <laughs> I, my, my mind was thinking something else completely no it's called a china syndrome. <laughs> from the u.s to china through the core uh so there's a lot of cool stuff that i remember learning about in my in my classes and definitely like i don't know them as well because you know it's been like 20 years but like some of it did like bring back like oh they're, they're doing differential equations here they're doing this they're doing quantum mechanics so it's really really cool um i really enjoyed this movie from the standpoint of like someone who likes history, someone who likes engineering, uh, and then there's someone who likes the work of you know my colleague Christopher Nolan, who I was you know worked on a movie with. <laughs> I was an extra in the wow. Dark Horizon. <laughs> Calling him a colleague. I called him That's, a colleague. Uh, I, I love it. I love it. He he directed me. He told me to slow down when I was running away. <laughs> that counts, guys. That counts. Sure. But uh, I I did thought like you know you couldn't catch any other country making a movie like this like who no one's gonna make a movie about how osama bin laden felt sad after 9 11 like, no one's gonna do that so you know what? That, i would love to see that be the next nolan project <laughs> you imagine, <laughs> just bin you imagine. It, it's crazy but yeah had a little bit of mixed feelings but i'm very happy i watched it i <laughs> someone's like a need take it easy <laughs> i don't know if that's in reference to my christopher nolan <laughs> comment or my Osama Bin Laden comment I don't know we're getting canceled oh my god I'm I'm glad to be here to witness it listen I ain't even started I thought it was gonna be you yeah I ain't even it's gonna be me incredible listen man there's a lot of white savior in this in this movie so we have to bring it down to the to a level we got to call some things out I I I just have to say what I have to say um all right yeah like, like, don't you agree? Like, I mean, like, this is no, no, there was one specific scene that I had a problem with, but uh, we'll get into that soon. Um, I, I yeah. do think Christopher Nolan has a sensitivity chip missing when it comes to people of color. Like, it, a lot of his movies, number one, don't have a lot of people of color. Also, he whitewashes a lot of characters. Like, if you go to the Batman, Talia, Raza Ghoul, Bane, all been whitewashed, and then if you go to Dunkirk, they left out like all the Daisies who were there under the British army, like it was a big part of Dunkirk and he just completely left that out. So I do think like Christopher Nolan does have a little bit of a blind spot when it comes to representation. And, you know, uh, first time I saw him have a a lead that was of color was uh, Tenet, which I was like, all right, cool. Well, he's finally getting it. Right. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to make a movie about the, uh, the forties and the fifties. So oh, all white people God. again, <laughs> No one can call me out on it. <laughs> God damn it, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Now that we've even the playing field, now we can start praising the movie. We can't just be all sunshine and rainbows. We can start praising the movies now because there's going to be a lot of praising for it. Uh, the movie starts off with, uh, oh, by the way, spoilers, spoilers. Oh, should we go to commercial? It's over 10 minutes. Yeah, we can do commercial now. All right, guys, we are going to commercial. So... And we're back. All right, guys. So we are back, and we are going to start going into the movie. So we will be having spoilers. If you do not want to be spoiled for the movie, give us a like. Give us a share. Give us, uh, you know, a great comment and review. And then come back and, uh, you know, watch the podcast. It'll be fun. Um, All right. The podcast 
not the podcast. The movie starts off with Oppenheimer in school, and he is actually not a great student, which is actually true. Uh, he was actually a great theorist, but he was not a good engineer. He couldn't do things physically. So he's like failing this class, and he's probably one of the uh, worst uh, in his class about it. And he gets so much shit from his teacher that he tries to poison him with an apple, a cyanide apple. Now, in real life, when the story is told, it's not cyanide, but Christopher Nolan was like, all right, what's the most easiest poison that people would understand? Cyanide. Yep. So he used cyanide. Um, I heard that uh, Oppenheimer's grandson was annoyed at this part because he thought that that part is a little fabricated. But there is some uh documentation of somebody said in some interview or something where this did happen um whether that person made it up or not who knows but i thought that was really good also pretty good imagery of like you know using the apple and poisoning it and then having him instantly regret it which is kind of like setting up the <laughs> the movie and mm. <laughs> what's going on here which i thought was really really cool um and then he also gets to meet uh, uh, Heisenberg, which yeah, is, Heisenberg, yeah, yeah. First, you met Niels Bohr, oh, and met that was the Bohr. guy who was gonna get poisoned. And I was like, Oh, shit. Niels Bohr, Bohr was gonna, gonna die this way. I was like, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> yes, that was wild. And then they meet Oppenheimer, who I'm sorry, not Oppenheimer, Heisenberg, which everybody knows from Breaking Bad, but engineers probably know him from the Heisenberg un uh, uncertainty principle and all of that stuff that he does, especially uh, people who take in chemistry. Um, very cool to see that. What were your thoughts about Heisenberg's early years in Germany? Uh, Rocky. Uh, so first thing I will say is um, that opening shot of him looking at the water ripples in the rain was probably one of the greatest shots I've seen this year. Just in yeah. terms of like thematically how it recaptured everything at the end. Uh, just a stunning opening shot of uh, rainwater reflecting the uh, nuclear chain reaction. And I'm sure as an engineer, you can give us a lot more insight into that. But I, so I think what I liked most about this movie is when it sort of started, I was hooked in because I knew it was going to be a talkie film. Um, but I think smartly, as, as I guess Nolan always does, he's intercutting between three different timelines. And, uh, you know, you get the sort of traditional biopic of him just, you know, you're taking you through the steps uh, one way or another of, of his life. And then you get the Manhattan Project and everything that happened at Los Alamos and all that good stuff, which is the centerpiece of the film. And then you get that beautiful third act, uh, Heel Turn. Um, I It's based on a book called American Prometheus, something right. I read in high school uh, ages ago. It's a very good read. It is lengthy, though. It's it's a pretty long book. But it, it is a, it's a, it's a very good read. It's a pretty fast read, um, I would say. It's pretty engaging um, from what I remember. But I think... Nerd. Yeah, wh why do you think I'm here? Right. Yeah, I'm sure the, uh, the the listeners had no idea why I'm doing this recording at almost 10 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> Oppenheimer. Well, speaking of Prometheus, Prometheus is, you know, where they talk about he gave fire to the people and because of that, he was punished. And it's kind of supposed to be what is represented in Oppenheimer, which I thought was pretty interesting. And they started off with that quote or that line about who yeah. Prometheus is, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, also, since jazz, we we did get to see in seventy millimeter the uh, the actual film projection, the uh, the film stock. I guess it's it's about eleven miles long. Uh, the reel. Yeah. 
So, mm-hmm. um, so I guess to give a bit more on the technicality, it's really hard to shoot in 70 millimeter IMAX for the most part because the cameras are really big and they're really noisy. So they're right. usually reserved for nature photography. So what Nolan and uh, uh, Hoytema, who's the cinematographer, what they did was they essentially took it and started to do a lot of intimate photography. So a lot of what you see, especially in the scene where, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this more once we get there, um, where you know people are chanting and clapping post uh, bomb uh, when you know the camera really focuses in on a heavy close up of face in the background, you know it's sort of really interesting to see that blown up, and you really get to see the the textures on an actor's face. And film composition projected for the most part, you will get a resolution like you've never seen before. Uh, I mean, so you're. I talk- heard, so I heard they had to do that for the black and white scenes too, and that wasn't invented yet. They had to invent that or something. So when you add sound to film, so, you know, when film was originally set up, normally I'm talking about back in, you know, the 30s and the 40s, uh, and even, you know, a little bit in the 20s, the sound machine would be separate from the film because they were still trying to figure out, like, how to integrate both those things. So they'd you would have almost two people pressing. It's like turning a nuclear uh, bomb, you know. You, yeah. <laughs> each person has a key, and you sort of turn it at the same time to sync up the movie. And then they were able to sort of figure out putting in a sound strip along with the, the main picture uh, frame. And then for this one, we they just did not have black and white photography for 70 millimeter, which they basically had to invent and then rescale it so you could wrap it around the actual reel so it could move smoothly along with the sound trip. So it, there's, a, there's a lot going on in terms of like technicalities and they're great YouTube videos to watch on it. But, um, you know, it's, it's really sort of a, a technical marvel that we have this now. Mm, fascinating jazz what about you what were your thoughts about the early years of uh voppenheimer so this was really cool like the way he was visualizing everything from the beginning uh you know he was a bad student and but then he ended up being great something i relate to because i was a horrible student and then now i'm actually moderately successful so you're great great, you're very great (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, but like, I'm not, I'm not joking, man. I was a bad student. Uh, at the end of my sophomore year in college, I almost got kicked out of UH. Okay. Like, yeah, I almost failed out. Like, that's how bad I was. Did so, you, uh, did you poison the professor? No. <laughs> uh, well, I actually so. liked my professors. They were great. Uh, go, go. Well, <laughs> so if you did that, you could have been building the next bomb right now. <laughs> whoa, 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 easy there. Get down, guys, on this podcast. <laughs> let's, let's take it easy. We're getting canceled for sure. <laughs> uh, one thing that they don't mention is how privileged uh, Oppenheimer was. He wasn't like this poor guy who got into like a school on a scholarship. His family was very rich. His mom was an artist. His dad was in the garment industry. They were very privileged. They were very rich. Uh, and but he was still like a very unique kid where he would go to camp and like the kids wouldn't like him, but he would also bully a lot of the kids too. So it's kind of like a two way street. And one time they locked him in a freezer and covered him in like green paint, like his whole body, like even his genitals, like crazy. So like he had some trauma uh, as a kid for sure, but he was also rich. So his family was able to like put him in the best schools and get him the best education. And a lot of that came Send him to Europe. Yeah. College. Well, he went to Europe a lot because a lot of it is because he didn't like the people in the in the U.S. who knew him. So he went there to reinvent himself. And that's where he got the hat and the pipe. And he came up with this like whole new image in real life. That's actually what happened to him. 
the United States, we also didn't have like a quantum mechanics program uh, right. at the time. Um, so you, if you wanted to study theoretical physics, uh, physics in general, Europe was the place to go. Um, yeah, absolutely. In uh, fact, was- uh, there was a the first Pakistani to ever win a Nobel Peace Prize was actually there in in Germany to uh, for that too. Uh, so that was really really cool. I don't know if you uh, you guys, but I forgot his name, Abdus. Uh, Salim, I believe his name is, which is a really interesting story because he was like supposed to be Pakistan's biggest hero, first Pakistani to ever win a Nobel Peace Prize, and Pakistan wouldn't claim him because of course was, not. Yeah, because he was Ahmadi, so they were like, "You're not really Muslim." So on his grave, they have written the first Muslim to win a Nobel Peace Prize, and like people came in and they like erased Muslim on his grave. Like that's bullshit. Yeah, so he's just the first person to win the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, he's, he's technically like, still the first uh... Pakistani, but you know, Pakistanis and Ahmadis, and they they have issues with that. Uh, it's not but... even just the Ahmadi community. It's like also like look at Malala Yousafzai, right? Like Pakistanis yeah. hate her. Like they we do. just hate ourselves for some reason. It's so dumb. It's not that they hate ourselves. It's just that there's a lot of people who believe conspiracy theorists and they believe she's part of the u.s government to kind of make pakistan look bad and she's like a puppet and a ploy for the west um and it's just really dumb and really bad uh but yes malala is the second uh so shout out to her so we got two which is pretty dope uh so definitely definitely like that all right now let's go back to the movie uh in the movie this is where we start seeing stuff in black and white and color and go back and forth. Now, a lot of people were a little confused about what was black and white, what was color. Uh, Cause when we see Killian Murphy, he is in color and it's the past. It's everything that's happening in his like school in Germany. But then when we see Strauss, it's in black and white. And then we, when we see him again making the bomb, it's in color. So it's very confusing to a lot of people. And then, like, obviously, you know, you pretend like you knew it all along, but you go back online and you check what happened. And they say that <laughs> it was because it was different perspective. One is from the perspective of Oppenheimer. The other is from the perspective of, of Strauss. And a lot of that is because Strauss, it was a kind of person who would see everything in black and white. Uh in terms of like what someone's doing is wrong, what someone's doing is right. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And then in the beginning, they're in Princeton, shout out New Jersey, yay. Uh, he gets a job there. Strauss talks about being a, um, a, shoe, uh, a shoe salesman. And then Oppenheimer calls him a lowly shoes salesman. And he goes, no, just sales shoe salesman, which is a hint to how the rumor is in real life that Strauss was actually really offended by a certain off-color comment that uh, Oppenheimer made about him. And he held that grudge. It's like that Michael Jordan meme. Like, I took that personally. <laughs> that's, that's what happened with Strauss, right? And then yeah. Oppenheimer would humiliate him again at the isotope uh, court hearings and stuff like that. So man had a grudge. Man would hold the grudge. Uh, 
But I did like the scene where he goes and meets Einstein and all the memes came out saying like, this is like the Avengers for like people who can do math. And I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) He did make that scene so cinematic and so serious. Just Einstein there with his hat blowing off and him picking it up. And you're like, you're assembling the Avengers. This is what's happening. (laughs) It must have been a dream scenario for you guys. Because you got them. You got uh, Kenneth Branagh's Niels Bohr. You got... Uh, the German actor was actually from uh, uh, the uh, Zack Snyder zombie movie that came out a couple of years ago on Netflix. I forget the actor's name, but um, who played uh, Werner Heisenberg? And uh, you've got uh, Jack Quaid playing Richard Feynman. Right. Uh, yeah. It's uh, you know. I mean, Rami Malek was in here, and I was like, "Yo, Rami Malek's a big name. How do they have him in here for like one scene, and then he comes that at the end with the with the, with the save?" And I'm just like, "Oh, like so many big stars, even like the president from like." scandal is in here and like you're just like they got stars for every they brought josh hartnett out of retirement for this shit man <laughs> like Incredible. same thing with matt damon matt damon says i'm not doing any more movies i'm taking a break unless christopher nolan calls and christopher nolan calls yeah. and he's like, sorry honey the, that was the one stipulation the fact that he told his wife that doing marriage canceling is incredible you know <laughs> no, no 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 more movies unless christopher nolan calls that's so funny. The cult, the Nolan clause. Are, are you are you on the that same wavelength, Neebs? No more movies unless Christopher Nolan calls. Yeah, yeah, same here for me, man. No more movies for me unless Christopher Nolan calls. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be an extra in his movies, even though right now they can they probably can just AI my scenes in The Dark Knight Rises and probably use me again for all his movies without paying. Right. <laughs> well, the the beautiful thing was like none of the uh, I mean none of the major effects were uh, you know visual effects. Um, they created them through in, like sort of really unique mag- magnesium flares, and they blew up ping pong balls and uh, lit them up from underneath. So it was like some really cool, inventive like special effects. Not to talk down on visual effects because visual effects are amazing, and you can do a lot of great things, and they do need a union, but. Yeah. Um, that aside, I think visual effects has a capacity to make things a little safe because you can just get whatever you want. And yeah. uh, something that like uh, Chris McQuarrie was talking about in Mission Impossible when they were wrecking the train at the end was with CGI, you can sort of get anything that you want. So right. nothing really means as much. But if you actually sort of feel the tact, the you know, a tactile environment where things are moving and you feel the grit of it on the film, then, you know, you get that sense of danger. I also feel like practical effects last longer, even if they're not great. For example, like if you watch the older Star Wars movies, they're using puppets and animatrons. They still look decent. But if you watch The Phantom Menace, they use CGI, and that CGI does not pass the test of time. There's there's a John John Frankenheimer film uh, from the 1960s called The Train, where it's just two trains that like collide against each other, and it's real, so it looks incredible. In, in black and white photography and that's if if it's real it's always going to look incredible there's because there's no replacing it uh right. but i think we've re- we've reached such a high point with visual effects now especially with james cameron and all the lovely works the folks at like I, ilm and you know weta and all those other companies are doing that photorealism is not hard to achieve so we gotta find different ways to keep folks on their toes yeah, brown boy, it's like it looks like PS1 graphics. Yeah, you don't want it to look like PS1 graphics. Well, counterpoint there, uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, stunning Incredible. visually, yeah, stunning. like, okay. and that was 03 with CGI. 
Well, they actually built yeah. models for a lot of those shots. It was a composite between like actual physical models plus CG. Whereas the Hobbit movies, they were all like hundred percent, you know, almost close to like ninety percent VFX. Even the Hobbit trilogy was amazing, though. Like it didn't look bad at all. But a, then, depending on which corner of the internet you visit, that can have. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right. So, so moving along, in, uh, later on in the movie, Oppenheimer starts going to these parties. Uh, he meets a lot of people. His brother, who ha is a communist, his brother's wife is also a communist, starts introducing him to people. Um, he meets uh, Shivlari, I believe, who, who's uh, the guy. Shivlari, yeah, yeah. that's the guy. And he, you know, he introduces him. He becomes friends with them and friendly. He ends up being a big plot point later on because he is the person that tries to get information out of him to go back to the Communist Party, uh, which gets him into trouble. So that's really interesting. And then he also meets uh, Gene, who is played by Florence Pugh, uh, and they seem to hit it off. And she is a psychiatrist. Who happens to be a little crazy, which I, I hear that, that that's often for for psychiatrists. Is really you funny. know the joke there, right? Yeah. <laughs> People go to psychiatry to find out what's wrong with them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. All right. So this is part of the movie where she starts getting a little weird. Um. So they start hooking up. You know, mm -hmm. things happen. One thing leads to another. You know how it is. Uh, and then Oppenheimer seems to lose his mojo. And she decides to pick up a book from his shelf and starts reading off the Bhagavad Gita and starts asking him to read off of it so he can get aroused so they can have sex. Bro, this is the man? one scene I had a problem with. This is why I gave it a 9.8. I'm not well, even into, but I thought that's got to be disrespectful. I mean, I guess he's got to say that quote anytime there's an explosion, right? So I guess it's. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's obviously why they brought it in, right? Now, here's my issue with this scene it was so rushed. Like, this movie's already you three and a half like, like, hours. You wanted more time with them. Not that part, but the part of her going through the books on a shelf, like, oh, let right. me get a bit more of a feel of your political philosophy, and mm. then eventually get to that. That yeah. would have been cool. But this what? whole scene felt very rushed to me. It felt rushed to you. I felt like they shouldn't have this scene at all. I thought it was disrespectful. I thought it was pretty, like, I, I, I don't It was absolutely disrespectful. Do not get me wrong, but if you're going to disrespect it, do it right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, There's my hot take. Uh, if you're say, uh, the culture. Disrespect it correctly. I'm. I'm. So as I, I, I guess I, I was raised uh, Hindu and grown up. I, uh, I, I, the first time I saw it, I, I kind of laughed out loud because I didn't, I didn't quite believe that was how they were doing it. So <laughs> I, I had a blast. But well, I guess in this case, a blast. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, the More than one way, huh? Adjusted. Well, the, the interesting thing about, I guess, the, the thing he quotes, which is, I guess, to give some folks some background, and this is me overtly simplifying um, the source text because it's a little more complicated than that. It involves, it's, it's a quote from uh, Krishna where he's talking um, to uh, Arjun, who's a prince. Who, oh. they've, so it's basically a, a band of brothers who've had their kingdom taken away from them by their cousins. And uh, Arjun's at the battlefield, and he's like, I don't want to fight these people. They're my family, you know. And Krishna sort of gets up and tells him that it's, as a warrior, you're not compelled by greed, but you're compelled by duty, by obligation. 
And that's sort of, I guess, the philosophy that Oppenheimer took to note. It's that, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do, not for fame, not for, you know, anything or what sort of what's he's, he has to do it out of sheer obligation and or duty. And, you know, that's something I thought, which was like an interesting um, uh, wave to look at. Interesting. Were you offended, Rocky? I was that. that. I was, uh, I would, no, but there are people who are offended though. They were, uh, there was some comments online from, but although I will say Oppenheimer, India is the only place where Oppenheimer outperformed Barbie. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because uh, Indians love Christopher Nolan. Um, Okay. Like, I mean, when he was there in India to scout locations and he's been there a couple of times, I mean, the, the crowd is insane. It's like, he's a rock star. It's incredible. Makes so sense. he's uh, that's it's the only country where I think uh, or I'm I'm pretty sure it's the only place where Oppenheimer. Died. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Most of the you know South Asian subcontinent had Oppenheimer beating out Barbie. Same with right, the Middle right. East. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it would make sense because India had its own race for you know n- nuclear weapons with Pakistan uh, mm-hmm. happening, which I, I feel like could be a story on its own. That could be a crazy story also. Um, yeah. So oh, Christopher Nolan presents the partition. <laughs> we wanted more people of color. This is it. This is <laughs> Let's make it happen. Ne- Neebs, this is your next movie. Uh, I, I, I will have my people reach out to his people. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right let's uh real quickly take a commercial break before we head into act two all right we'll come back from commercials in five four three two and we're back guys welcome back all right so now we're introduced to leslie grove played by matt damon which phenomenal i think matt damon just kills it in this uh and they go down to new mexico and they pick new mexico because they feel like is in, uh, uninhabited. There's a lot of area. Uh, Oppenheimer would often go there with his brother. Uh, one thing they're they, from there. Yeah, they're from there. But one thing they don't tell you is it wasn't technically uninhabited. There were people mm-hmm. who lived in that area. There were Indians there. Uh, there was a lot of people who were exposed to a lot of things because of the testing, and they're called downwinders. Uh, you can look them up. There's still a lot of people who have been affected by that. So something I feel like the movie did get a little bit wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, Jazz, what are your thoughts? So these scenes were beautiful to me, man. Like just seeing the open field, seeing, you know, the the horses, the, the like the, the rain, the sky, everything. It was just beautiful. Uh, this intro scene to Los Alamos, 10 out of 10. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why you go to the movies, right? To sort of see this in a huge, wide sort of, you know, cinemascope. Uh, I, I mean, the interesting thing about 70 millimeters, you cannot cut too fast because the screen's too big. And by the time your eye absorbs all the information that's on the screen, it, it takes a bit because it's just pretty big. So you sort of yeah. have to give them the breathtaking vistas for a while just to, you know, get your uh, mind and eyes acclimatized to, what, to what's being shown. Yeah, totally. So we also get to meet Edward Teller, who is a, an important person in this story. Uh, he is the person who comes up with the calculations that lets people know that if they do this, there is a chance that when the air gets on fire and there's a chain reaction, this chain reaction can never stop. 
it may never stop. Meaning oxygen is also just an element. You know, there's atoms and stuff like that. If a chain reaction causes the atoms there to also split, there's oxygen in the atmosphere all over the world, and it could literally blow up the entire planet. And they were like, all right, let's take this to Samuel Jackson, I mean Einstein, and <laughs> go back to him and figure out what we need to do. Um, definitely one of the, the biggest plot points in this movie. And this line was also mentioned in Tenet. Uh, it was mentioned in Tenet, which is kind of like, oh, did he, Christopher Nolan already have an idea of what movie he was going to be working on after this, which people are speculating, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, the visuals of that were just really, really great. And then Teller was the one person who was like, no, I don't think we need to make an atom bomb. We need to make a hydrogen bomb. And for those of you that don't know, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, uh, and the, the A-bomb is basically what? Like 10 to 15 kilotons? Um, the H-bomb is in megatons. It's in megatons. It's, it's, it's vastly bigger. It's like comparing millions to billions. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, that that part was a little crazy. So also, what an incredible performance by Benny Safdie uh, yeah. as, as Edward Teller. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge fan of him as a director with his brother. Uh, Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler was uh, it was incredible. Plus, uh, Gems. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, had you never seen the mean Uncut Gems? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so it, it's good. To, it, yeah, it was nice to see him in front of the camera for a change. Like, yeah, just great, great, great. Yeah, yeah. So, at this point, they have all the scientists in the room and they're talking about like how much plutonium they have, how much uranium they have, etc. Um, it's really, really interesting because they had a lot more of one than the other, so they were using uh, everything based on like plutonium, but even though uranium is like easier to work with. Uh, and then when they were building this thing, they would not use the word bomb. They would use the word gadget, which is why I called Jazz Go Go Gadget earlier in the episode. Mm. So they did. They wanted to disassociate wow. people's feelings. Because I'm the bomb. You're the bomb. <laughs> yeah. They, well, they wanted to disassociate these people's feelings with with that word because they were like, "Oh, it's going to make them feel bad. It's going to make them think about like what they're doing." Whereas gadget is a more of a scientific term. It's more like they're doing this for discovery, for science, for advancement. Uh, definitely a, you know, like a mind trick right there. Were, was this to help us disassociate from jazz? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Nice. <laughs> uh, we also noticed that uh, Leslie brings in Klaus who happens to be the leak. So the leak who gives up this information to uh the, the Soviets. Party, the Soviets, was actually not even brought in from Oppenheimer, <laughs> which is ironic. Uh, but yes, and then at this time, we also see this meeting in black and white uh, where Strauss and um, Oppenheimer meet. And it's in black and white, so we have to assume that it's from Strauss's point of view. So from what I understand from what Christopher Nolan said, the color portions of the film are supposed to be from Oppenheimer's perspective, like a biopic. The black and right. white stuff is supposed to be an objective measure of like both characters, which is why so he sort of tears them both down at the end um, when it all sort of comes together. Mm, okay. All right. Based on what he said, but you know. Of course. 
then what about the the scenes with Strauss in the room by himself with his lawyers and stuff? I feel like that can't really be objective. That's kind of just like so, that, so that's what I was curious about. I think what sort of got me the second time I watched it, which I thought was uh, fascinating, was so uh, Alden uh, Einreich's character, whose name I'm forgetting at the moment, he he's the young Han Solo. Uh, the yeah, actor yeah. That's all. So he's sort of got an interesting character arc and that's what i find sort of deeply fascinating about this movie is that every minor character also has their own character arc even if it takes sort of a long time to get to it right um and for him it was i think coming in with you know my boss is sort of an old heretic i'm going to teach him how to run the cogs in washington the new way then finding out his boss has been way ahead of him and finding out that he <laughs> essentially walked into the cesspool of politics that is uh mm -hmm. dc and then finally sort of getting some uh you know uh some catharsis that they, they didn't he didn't end up getting that position the cabinet position but at the same time oppenheimer's not exactly good either and you know ultimately the tale is about multiple flawed men who were products of their environment just like uh, we all are what's really interesting is these scientists were treated like rock stars back in, oh, that, yeah. in those ages right you you never see that now but yeah these guys oppenheimer was on time magazine he was a a rock star his pipe his hat his eyes those were like signatures of him which i think is really really interesting and yeah people people were crazy like ab about these scientists and it was a big deal um which is why he kept on you know having these affairs and he was a philanderer and all of that stuff and when his uh what is it oh, mistress i guess she would be oh yeah uh, Cadillac, yeah, yeah. yeah when when she dies is such an incredible scene because she commits suicide and she puts her head down in water and then she takes these pills and then she puts the pillow on the floor but then for a brief second you see this glove on her head and like that's one second is supposed to make you believe that maybe it wasn't it's suicide that it was murder and that's real life her brother speculated and said a lot of times that he think the american government killed her because they wanted oppenheimer to one uh focus on the gadget and they wanted uh the communist element away from that so for those two reasons he thinks that they did it and Christopher Nolan is so smart that he didn't even put that in the scene except for one small, if you blink, you will miss a scene where she has gloves, like black gloves, and they're pressing down on her head. And you're like, oh, if, you're, if you don't think too much about it, you just assume that she, it was her own hand, but it wasn't. That was really well done. I'll be honest, I missed it. Yeah. What? How many times have you seen it and you missed it? Once. Oh, okay, okay. Never mind. Oh, that's fair. I, think, I think that's fair. I think uh, there, there's, there's a lot of information that movie has to throw at you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. noticed it, but I was like, what just uh, happened? I was looking around. I was like, did anyone else see that? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, really yeah, I, did, I, I could confirm. I saw it too. It wasn't, it wasn't just a you thing. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I also did look up uh, Alden's character. Uh, yeah. He doesn't have a name. He's just Senate Aide. <laughs> yeah, just Senate Aide. Well, Senate aides had, I, I thought, a very interesting arc. These amazing characters and actors that they have in here, and some of them are just so minor, they didn't even give them names. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last time he didn't even give the protagonist the name, he just called him protagonist. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're lucky to get any names at this point. We're, 
That is true. That is true. Um, all right. And then uh, he's in this hearing, and then he has to describe his relationship with Gene. And basically, when he does, um, his wife is just like giving him like dagger eyes and just looking right at him, like murder eyes. Uh, and then she's imagining, like, they pan the from the guy's head, and then like he's like, like uh, shirtless, and then they pan again, and then like Florence Pugh's there, and I was like, all right, this seems a little bit excessive too. I like I'll let this one pass, but I was like, okay, again, and I've never seen Christopher Nolan do nudity, like I've never seen him do it, and I was just like, huh, all right, maybe this is what it takes to win an Oscar. <laughs> I I thought it was interesting from like a I thought this was the first Nolan movie to really dive into sort of subjective photography um in the sense of because i think he is one of our last remaining directors to really show us understand how to show a scale so he shows us he gives us a lot of great perspective shots um and i know the way the way the camera's positioned in that shot and even the frame uh and the medium that he uses is very much from where emily blunt is sitting and that's exactly what she's imagining when she's looking at him while he's sort of testifying and it's it's a it's a very sort of quick insert i thought it was gratuitous but yeah I get it. Yeah, a little little gratuitous, but I was like, all right, I, I guess so. Uh, right. They also had the scene where they were just kind of just sitting across from each other and just having a casual conversation naked, which I, it's, as people tend to do. <laughs> so, I, I forgot what movie it was, but um, I think it was Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where it's like you, you should, whenever you're arguing with each other, you should be naked because it's hard to oh, take yeah. each other seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they watched Forgetting yeah. Sarah Marshall. Maybe that's what really happened. <laughs> All right. Um, all right. So what else happened? Um, do, 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 uh, he meets with Truman. Uh, no. Well, I guess we are, we are we covering the actual um, testing. Yeah, the, I guess we have to. Yeah, right? let's go back to the actual testing because I think uh, he meets uh, Truman later. Uh, yeah. But the whole setup with the bomb and the testing and the rain and the cinematography, I think, was incredible. And when they did the uh explosion like the light hits you way before the sound which like incredible my theater was dead silent and yeah. that, there's only three movies in modern times where i can remember that happening number one uh star wars where they go to light speed the hodor maneuver uh in the last jedi uh mission impossible when he yep. jumps jumps the freaking uh the cliff, the cliff yeah. and, and then this like though the three times where i can remember complete silent pin drop in an in a, in a theater and this was one of them so it's funny because i saw a tiktok recently or right when they pushed the button some dude in theater yelled allahu akbar and i was like i'm dead uh i saw that tiktok too i'm hoping they put it in post i hope they didn't actually do that <laughs> i thought it's hilarious <laughs> we can't get away with stuff like that <laughs> don't test <laughs> Don't try it. Don't try it. I'm not gonna try it, but it's still hilarious that somebody did it. Like I'm um, even scared to talk about this movie being a Muslim man. <laughs> like, <laughs> that alone is freaking me out. Oh <laughs> uh, that's great. <laughs> Rocky, I'll send it to I'm you. Just, I'm just taking 10 seconds to myself just to enjoy that particular anecdote. <laughs> but yeah, like like Rocky said earlier, no visual effects, no special effects, like and then when the rumbling started, you're like, whoa. Like, I watched it in Dolby. And Dolby, like, I think, in my opinion, has some of the most incredible sounds. Uh, it You could hear the vibrations. It was crazy. 
I'm going to give uh, Ludwig Gronson a shout out too because the score is just masterful. Yes. Uh, yeah. All the way through. I mean, even doing the Trinity testing scene, the screeching violins and cellos, almost sort of this Baroque style sort of le- level of classical music. It's, it's, no, it was outstanding. Uh, till you sort of the stretching of the strings till you couldn't hold in the tension anymore on yeah. the instrument and in the film. Um, and the entire score doesn't have any drums so that it builds up to this point where you hear like all these explosions and stuff. And the other reason they didn't have drums is because drums is very like synonymous with military and they didn't want people to make that Oppenheimer was a military man. He was a scientist for first and foremost, which is another reason they didn't have drums in the score, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, I mean, when they sort of, uh, I guess, initially when you hear the drums and you think it's drums before they transition it to stamping feet and claps. Yeah. Which uh, was, I thought, an incredible uh, motif to go from what was supposed to be praise to just complete self-reflection and dejection internally. Yeah. uh, On what he's done. Uh, I, I mean, that entire sequence, I think, of him talking to the crowd is probably you could make an argument that it's the best directed sequence of Chris Nolan's career. Uh, I the, would agree with that. The yeah. long lenses, uh, the long lenses which blur the background really well. You get the clarity of the foreground. You get the blurred in the background. The the camera flashes which they use real uh, tungsten bulbs to sort of recreate a nuclear type flash. Plus the the skin erosions uh, as you sort of move through the crowd. Just that entire sequence was uh, incredible. Sound design. Yeah. All yeah, the acute radiation poisoning, you know, also talk. Yeah, all, all of it. It was great to watch. So, so the scene where, um, uh, what you call it? I was gonna say where they they sh- they sh- have him in the train early on. They did the same thing there too, because it's like a really early scene where he's like on a train with another person, another Jewish character. And oh right, uh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you can see him take like a seat back and you can see like the cushion just like vibrating right behind him while his face is still and that's the first time i saw that and i was like whoa that's so cool and then you see it again in that audience scene which i thought was wild and you're not gonna really get that level of scope because they're they're using what's traditionally lenses that are used for you know again like uh to photograph nature and these giant vistas and pushing them right in the face of the actor so yeah. you're getting uh, sort of incredible intimate photography of the human face and human textures to really get that, you know, drive home that emotion. It's great. Yeah. True, so true. we got to learn what the skincare routine is because their skin was immaculate. <laughs> All right. So at this point, um, so let me ask you, does the speech that Oppenheimer give in front of the crowd, does that happen before he drops the bomb or after they drop the bomb? It happens after they drop the bomb. Okay, so let's go back before they were dropping the bomb and talk about like the Harry Truman conversation where they're trying to decide where to drop the bomb. And they're just so casually going like, not Kyoto, me and my wife uh, honeymoon there, which is actually a line that was ad-libbed and yeah. is also a real-life thing that happened, which is wild. One of the actors, I believe, like like read in his research that this person did that. And they just threw it in there. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, talking about calling out white people. I mean, that's uh, that's that was a scene for all of us that- right there in terms of, you know, yeah, we honeymooned there. So that's probably not a good spot to uh, yeah. drop that one. Might be going back. Uh, well, I mean, historically, all speaking, Kyoto and Tokyo 
were mostly destroyed by this point from the carpet bombing they were doing. Yeah, that's, uh, true. that's true. Like, so, so, I mean, I, it's like it sounds like oh, it's already dead, so why bomb it? Like, no, 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 no. It's trying to bomb more people. Like, it sounds bad, but like that's mm. exactly what happened. No, no, Jazz, th- uh, that is exactly what happened. But there's more to it. So this is the, the thing that the movie got wrong. Oppenheimer was a lot more involved in the decision of where to do that they had decided where to drop the bombs before they were copper bombing they did that on purpose because uh nagasaki and hiroshima are so flat they wanted to understand the full force of the bomb they didn't want a land where like there'll be mountains and stuff like that they needed a flat land so they can demonstrate how powerful the bomb is so they purposely did not bomb any of those areas because they wanted people to see how powerful this bomb is and oppenheimer was the person who came up with that idea so he was very much involved in that and i think uh, jason clark's character uh was it rob something i forget his last name he plays the lawyer at the deposition at the end he he makes a mention of that at the end of the film where he talks about you were involved in picking the uh right uh What's the word? Roger Rob, sorry. Yeah. What's the I've I'm missing the word targets. There we go. And picking the targets uh for where to um, you know, for lack of a better phrase, deposit the um the A bombs. Deposits? Yeah. <laughs> I'm dead. Listen. How about we take a commercial break real quick? <laughs> All right, we'll go into commercial break and then we'll come right back. So commercials in five, four, three. And we're back, guys. All right. So I do. We did talk a little bit about the scene in where Oppenheimer was talking to the audience and telling them that everything was successful. And we did this and we brought our boys back home. And that was a real like reasoning for a lot of the stuff that you know he was doing because he was a jewish person and we can't discount his jewish experience because he knew what the nazis were doing there and there is a line where they say i don't know if we can be trusted with the bombs but be sure as hell knows the nazis can't right and i was like Mm -hmm. wow okay fair uh but the nazis had already surrendered by the time the bomb was ready and they were just itching to use it on somebody. They were looking for an excuse to, to, to use it. And then Pearl Harbor happened, and they were like, okay, now. Well, Pearl Harbor do? happened but way before. But way before. Yeah, yeah way yeah. before. But, like, yeah. it gave them an excuse or, or just to yeah. say, like, okay, we can do something, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then after he uses it, he seems to have this little, you know, change of heart. Uh, and a lot of people were like, well, now that you're this big rock star and you're the father of atomic bomb, now you change your mind. Now you want to do this because you don't want right. someone else to get bigger credit and stuff like that. So that's a lot of the stuff that they're saying, which they were already starting to develop the H-bomb, which is what Strauss wanted. And then we see a lot of the stuff where like Strauss wants to get his, um, I believe, his security clearance you know, removed and all of that stuff is happening. Um, what were your thoughts about the whole court case uh, between Oppenheimer and Strauss part of the movie, Rocky? I thought it was fantastic. It's uh, sort of borrows heavily from sort of Oliver Stone's JFK, uh, very procedural stuff. It's, 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 it's incredible. And I think what I liked about it is I had a bit of a background and I was talking to a friend of mine who had not read the book and did not have uh, too much context with the characters and they 
sort of said that, look, when the Trinity test happened and then, you know, there was the aftermath and after he met Truman, there was a little lull in the film. And I was wondering why it's dragging for so long. And then it was sort of like the heel turn in the third act that brought the film home and which was, you know, he's not a hero and perhaps he's not a villain. It's more of a, humans are a little more complex than that. They're, you know, you sort of, when you're in the midst of something and you're so project focused, you don't tend to think of, you know, the, um, I guess, you know, the, the causality of events until much after and sure. what then. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think the big takeaway, I guess, for me was, is just how human those people were, you know, we were so yeah. sort of far removed from history and you look back at it, sort of any historical, what we would deem great figures and, you know, the statue comes before the person. And I thought, this was the one of the very few biopics where the person came, where they built the statue, they broke it down, and then they pushed the person in front of you. Yeah. I also feel like it also had a lot of social network vibes where, like, you see, like, right, you see uh, the, you know, Mark Zuckerberg character uh, in front of a court, and then you go back and find out what's happening, and you keep going back and forth between that. I thought it barred a little bit from the social network, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, yeah. and I really, really liked that. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, I like how Strauss orchestrated this whole thing, and at the end, we find out that he screwed himself just as much as he screwed over Oppenheimer, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, we got Rami Malek's character coming in at the end to kind of just like testify against him. And kind of just turn on Strauss, which I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. What was your, what was your opinion on that little twist? Which, like, I mean, it is history, so it's not really a twist, but yeah. like, it's still a twist. <laughs> it, no, it's great. I, I was sort of, uh, I guess it, it's been a while since I read the books. I was wondering where Rami was going to come back because I was like, he's, he's, he's one best leading actor. There's no way they're, you know, using him for just two minutes as a background actor. And then they, he came back and did the monologue. I was like, okay, so here it is. Okay. So, so he did his, I know I thought it was great. I think uh, it was like uh, photographed really well in terms of like keeping things sense. Also like just incredible job on the editing. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of information to pack in this film over three hours and like, you know, uh, Tim Burke, the special effects guy, like, you know, incredible uh, job. I mean, just the whole technical team all around, I think was just like incredibly impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, like uh, Jennifer Lane, who's the editor, she's done a couple. Uh, she's done Wakanda Forever and a couple other projects as well. She's, uh, you know, one of the best, I would say, uh, in terms of understanding tonal quality and in terms of understanding mood. Just to pack all of this in into three R features, incredible. She's yeah, she's something. yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Jazz, uh, what uh, what do you think about the way it ended and the way uh, this, the whole court case ended? So there's a reason we're gonna get a Captain America shirt today. <laughs> and because we won it's not yes because we won yes <laughs> usa 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 no um captain america yo uh, since we talk about marvel fun fact howard stark tony stark's father worked on the manhattan project that's canon that's canon yeah yes. yeah. yeah but anyways the reason why i'm wearing this shirt is like you know back in the day everyone really did put country above you know your friends and everyone else like for that betrayal to happen he absolutely put the country before anybody else there because i mean he really would have died in that era and he could have gotten away with it but rami malek's character like straight up 
he gambled and the country was better off because of it. And it was a yeah. truth, which was great. And so that's why I wore the shirt. He's like, I wish we could go back to that, but <laughs> we live in a completely different era now. Well, fun fact, his security clearance, Oppenheimer, was just reinstated back in 2022. Oh, so he can go back now. That's, that's well, cool. he can't go back now, but like posthumously, whatever it's called. It's, it's, more <laughs> symbolic. it's more symbolic. It's not like he could be a zombie and have his clearance back. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. They just uh, gave us aliens, so zombies are next. Zombies are next. I mean, we remember the bat salt incidents in Florida. Uh, <laughs> you never know. Let's get them back. Let's. Um, yeah. th- wasn't there an Einstein quote that I do remember where he says, "You know, Oppenheimer's fallen in love with a woman that just doesn't love him the same way and re- has rejected him, and that's the U.S. government." Or there's some. There's a quote to some something similar to that. Yeah. Also, <laughs> when Oppenheimer does his speech. And he leaves that building, and then uh, Einstein pops out behind a bus. <laughs> I was dying. It was very Captain America in Infinity Wars. He just like yeah. was behind the bus. It was so wild. Uh, uh, I love that well, scene. <laughs> also, I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. But Robert Downey Jr., man, incredible. Oh, My phenomenal. Uh, if anybody doubted that he could act. Yeah. <laughs> then oh I'm, man <laughs> i'm so glad he's back making real movies again this is lovely <laughs> what are, are you think tropic thunder isn't a real movie <laughs> that's fair tropic thunder is incredible i will defend tropic thunder to the grave tropic thunder is a stone cold masterpiece it is uh, be yeah. careful with the blackface there well that's the point of the movie right that's yeah well yeah <laughs> i love new people discovering tropic thunder and like having the <laughs> initial freak out and then sort of like, <laughs> He's the dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. <laughs> oh uh, man! Uh, so we Junior introduced him uh, at his, uh, I guess, the Oscar reel when they were when he was nominated for best supporting for that role. Incredible! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's just hilarious. All right, let's move forward a little bit. So um, we go back a little bit into the future, um, and we see Linda B. Johnson give Oppenheimer an award. Uh, Teller's there. He shakes uh, Oppenheimer's hand. Oppenheimer's wife would not shake his hand, which is actually something that really happened in real life. And he wrote about it. And he was really sad, big sad about that. Um, Oppenheimer also, he said to Oppenheimer, I'm sorry. And he goes, based on what you said, I don't even know what that means. So that was like a comment that Oppenheimer said to him. Um, So it's really interesting. And then we have like this dope ending where Oppenheimer and Albert Einstein, they go back to that flashback once more, and you finally find out what they were talking about. And he goes like, when I came to you, and I had these calculations, and we thought that we could you know, destroy the world, and Einstein goes, what of it? I believe we did close. Just wow. No. wow. What a way to end it. And, and that score, man. That uh, it's, yeah, I think, believe the initial track is called Can You Hear the Music? I think it's the end yep. of that track, but yeah. Someone said, like, uh, is there an end credit? And then, like, someone replied, yo, we're living it. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. Accurate. Yeah. I mean, like, like part of it is a biographic, but, you know, there are parts of this where I'm like, this is a horror movie. It's almost, like, Mm horror-esque, which is pretty wild. I think what I'm really glad about is that not only are people watching it and people are talking about it, I think Barbenheimer, the the, the whole concept is great because we don't really get too much counter-programming for adults anymore. And, you know, I was sort of scared when this was first announced that, like, people would not go watch it. 
And the you know, I'm sort of the opposite of the gatekeeper where I want people to like watch the stuff that I watch and talk about the stuff that I watch. And that so now that yeah. that's finally happening. You know, I was you know over at like a couple of bars the other day, and I was hearing people talking about the film, discussing it, and I was just like, you know, couldn't be more thrilled. I'm looking at this comment by Brown Boy Wonder. He goes, the atomic bomb will return in World War III. It's like an Avengers credit. <laughs> it's, it's happening. Oh, my God. That That is uh, so funny. Uh, are, but, uh, can you take bets on who's going to start World War III? Uh, is it going to be, be Russia? Is it going to be Pakistan? Uh, is it going to be... <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, maybe someone will play you in the movie, Nabes. Maybe that's what will happen. Mm. You, you'll be, you're an engineer, so you might be called up to head this thing. True, and then I'll have to yeah. have like the 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 feel bad these, and then someone can make the movie about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, do, do you have a lot of left leaning political beliefs? I I am a very centralist person. I'm somebody yeah, yeah, like, hey, you you give me some good points and I'll switch. <laughs> you give me enough good facts and I'll switch teams. <laughs> that's, that's that's my motto. There, there there we go. So you're 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 in the clear. Your security clearance should be fine. Yeah yeah. The, the government wants me to be this way. I'll be that way. <laughs> as long as it didn't go against like you know my my core morals really. Uh, but yeah. No, no, that's uh, a problem, Neves. You gotta get rid of those. Yeah yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of uh, core, like an apple has a core. I I like to go back to that apple imagery where he's like. He puts the cyanide in the apple and he becomes dangerous and then he regrets it. And this is something that basically happens. And like the apple is basically knowledge. And he puts this bad thing in the knowledge. And now everybody has this knowledge to kind of do this. Like once you take put the genie out of the bottle, there's no putting it back in. Um, mm -hmm. And the thing is, the only saving grace they really had was that if they didn't, the Germans would have done it first. Um I don't know, but he is actively. No, no, that's facts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is facts for sure. So I think there's like two sort of moral quandaries. Is I think the first question is, should we have built the bomb? And the second one is, should we have used the bomb? Yeah, those okay. are two separate questions. I think it's almost as a you know, you can have a tool in the toolbox, but you don't have to use it. Yeah, especially when the war was uh, won in Germany already. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yep. We'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. We're going to go to one last commercial break and we're going to come back with Easter eggs. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to explain that. But Easter, yeah, Easter eggs. eggs. <laughs> there's Easter eggs in this movie. As an engineer, there's some science Easter eggs. There's some like cool in information here. Um, so we'll be back in five, four, three, two. And we're back, guys. All right. So we're going to wrap up this uh, podcast and we're going to go through some fun. Uh, I don't know if they're all fun. fun? <laughs> some, of them, some of them are fun. <laughs> we have the best descriptions of this movie. <laughs> oh, man. Great, great fun stuff. Um, all right. All right. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Okay. So the scene where Oppenheimer is basically doing the speech and we see people's like skin coming off that's his daughter that's flora nolan yeah that that's that's a that's a cool fact uh, christopher uh, nolan's daughter right, right yeah right. christopher nolan's daughter i thought that was cool and he was like when you're doing something that destroys the world if you put your family in it you feel a little bit more like oh no like this is the, you feel the danger in it so I, I thought I, that I, was there's a reason every christopher nolan's protagonist loses his wife because that's what he's most scared of yeah oh wow interesting I, every single one you go you go all the way from memento on and uh, mm, all right that all hits that right. it's deep all right cool uh the other thing was you see the couple um 
kind of having like you know making out under the bleachers in that one scene. Mm. Uh, that's supposed to symbolize the baby boomers because that's when the baby boomers kind of just uh, the, the, the population exploded with the baby boomers. That's when that happened. That that was really interesting. Um, I mean, see. what else was there to do in that era? I guess right. Yeah. Right. Uh, oh, the part where Oppenheimer goes, uh, "I have blood on my hand," and then Truman kind of throws them out of the office and like never let that scientist crybaby back in the office. That's actually what happened, word for yeah. word. That's there. Like that was pretty. pretty what, crazy. what did you think of uh, Gary Oldman as Truman? I didn't even know Gary Oldman until like halfway through it. And I was like, that person <laughs> looks so familiar. And then I was like, oh my god, that's Gary Oldman. Uh, that's Commissioner Gordon right there. That's Commissioner Gordon. That was yeah. fantastic though. The way he said it. it's like you didn't do shit. I I dropped the bomb. Like no, oh, I mean, the, the the people in Nagasaki don't care who built the bomb. They care who yeah. dropped it. Yep, yep. Uh, there's, also, there's also a reference to uh, uh, two scorpions that was in the movie, uh, which was supposed to represent, I believe, Oppenheimer and Strauss, two scorpions at ends who ends up destroying each other. So, you know, it's kind of like how uh, Oppenheimer uh, was kind of being destroyed by Strauss, but Strauss really ended up destroying himself also. So that was kind of interesting. Um, also, the reason Christopher Nolan decided to do this book is because Robert Pattinson actually gave him a book of speeches of uh, Robert Oppenheimer. And that's what inspired him to make this movie, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, I love Robert Pattinson. Yeah. And speaking of Batman, Josh Hartnett was a finalist to be uh, Batman. And he actually turned it down. And he said it's one of the worst mistakes that he's ever made because he wanted to work with Christopher Nolan and now he finally got to work with him. So it's like a full circle moment. Good for him. Killian Murphy auditioned for Batman too. You can see the audition. Yeah, that's not that too. We were missing Michael Caine this movie, Brown Boy Wonder thing in the comments. Yeah, there was was no Michael Caine. Um, Also, uh, when he goes J. Robert Oppenheimer and somebody asks him what the J stands for, he goes, nothing. Uh, That's not actually true. The J stands for Julius. Julius, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Julius Robert Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yep. What and, a name. Yeah, Incredible yeah. name, though, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And one of my favorite little insight uh, fun fact was when he tries to distract uh, the guy from eating the apple. What was his oh, name? he was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born. Uh, yeah. He starts bringing up wormholes. The same wormholes that are part of the story used in Interstellar. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So that's a pretty cool fun fact. I like that one. See, uh, some of these are fun. They're not all bad. Yeah, wormholes are great. That's actually fun. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, this one maybe not so fun. <laughs> so in the movie, Oppenheimer goes. Uh, in one hour and fifty-eight minutes, we will find out if like the bomb goes off. Um, the bomb actually goes off one hour and fifty-eight minutes into the movie, to the exact minute. That's crazy. That's actually cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I'm, oh. I'm just imagining people in the movie theater with a stopwatch. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the scientists that came to watch the the test was Enrico Femi, and Femi is known for the the Femi paradox. Uh, if you don't know what that is, Fermi. Fermi. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> it's like, why is uh there no intelligent life on other planets? And the paradox is that if there was they would ev- eventually, inevitably, wipe themselves out, which is kind of like what we could be doing with the bomb. So cool little fun facts here and there about the movie. 
Some of them fun, some of them not so fun, but that's all we got. Um, yes, someone said uh, the Josh Hartner resurgence is here. He was also in a new episode of Black Mirror. That We actually yeah. covered that episode of Black Mirror, and it was wild. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I can't remember which one it was, but yes. It's the space <laughs> one. It's the one where the guys are in oh, yeah, space, yeah. and then they have these, like, surrogates, I guess, like these robot surrogates. that like Androids. Androids, and, yeah. yeah. And then he kills that other guy's wife. Oh, my God. That was crazy. Yeah, wild. Yeah, and Paul's it. episode. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have for this episode. Anything else that we did not cover? Is there anything else you guys want to say that we haven't covered yet? Rocky. Uh no, nothing other than that. Like it's a genuine technical marvel. It's a brilliantly made film. We don't get these pretty often, and I think when we do, we should definitely go support them. So definitely go watch it. For sure, for sure. What about you, Jazz? Yeah, I'm gonna go see it a second time. Like, like now that I have a bit more background on it like you know these little things to look for you know i'm gonna be the guy in theater with the stopwatch it's gonna be great uh yeah. can't wait to see it again <laughs> yeah well if, if you're not over this oppenheimer hype there is a movie uh i forgot what it's called something and the fat boy is called it's it's uh about oppenheimer there's a tv show about oppenheimer called manhattan that is uh, popular too. And there's a documentary on Hulu about Oppenheimer. Uh, so there are places where you can still get some more information. Uh, the documentary is really, really good. And so is the show Manhattan. I think one of the actors in here is actually uh, in the movie also, which is pretty interesting. But yeah, if you're still not over it, you should definitely check them out. And uh, it's a cool little part of history, a sad little part of history, a dark little part of history. Uh, but it's our history. <laughs> so it is what it is. Facts. Yeah. And Brown Boy said that this should win best sound design. Yes, we we totally agree. I I, I would. 100%. I mean, it's going to win a lot more, honestly. Well, I mean, unfor- unfortunately, the Oscars have uh, combined sound editing and sound design now, which is annoying. But, you know, it is what it is. There's a, but- there's a lot of people that i could say i think like it's just be, the oscars might be between this and leonardo caprio's new movie uh killer of the flower moon killers of the yes. flower moon, uh, this i think yeah. i think it's going to be between those two because robert downey jr could get something for uh supporting, supporting cast. Yeah, him yeah. ryan gosling is probably going to be up for it uh, that is going to be so yeah. wild ryan gosling yeah. and robert downey jr two, two these very two different performances tonally <laughs> Uh, I'm just Oppenheimer. <laughs> I, I would love to see a version of that song. I would. <laughs> what, what would be uh, his version of I am Kenneth? <laughs> I am Kenneth. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I am death. I am death. <laughs> I am become death. Oh God! <laughs> All right. With that, I think that's where we're going to end it off. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This was a great episode. Uh, please, you know, like, share, comment, subscribe, and we will see you guys next time. And until next time, guys, salam, nerds. Peace. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>